Hey folks, Chris and Rich here. Uh, just want to talk to you real quick about the folks we do our podcast hosting through. Our podcast is powered by Podbean Podcast Hosting. Now, if you're thinking about starting your own podcast or you're looking for the best home for your podcast, I want to encourage you to check out all the amazing features that Podbean offers with unlimited bandwidth and storage for an affordable price. That's right, it's unlimited. So visit uh, podbean.com slash V-O-R radio to check it out today. And again, that's podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash V-O-R-R-A-D-I-O. Thanks for checking it out. We'd really appreciate it. And if you're wanting to podcast, this is a really great place to do it. We've been doing with this with them for quite a few years now, and we've been very uh, grateful for all their help and for their the tools that they have available. Please give it a che- uh, check, and I think you'll be happy with it. So now we're on to the show. Welcome back to Voice of Reason Radio. We're back. We're back together. It is now uh, the 27th of March, 2023. It's been a second. It's It's been a second since Rich and I have been able to get together. And then and then last week, it all went out the window. Um, so tonight's topic might feel like, well, why are you bringing this back up? Because that's what we had planned and, and we're still running with it. So but <laughs> thank you for being with us. Thank you for joining us uh, here on Voice of Reason Radio. I uh, want to welcome, we just seem to be getting more and more new listeners. Uh, we got to thank Podbean. You guys hear the little uh, intro we do at the beginning. Podbean is who we host through. And it, I, I, I want to thank Podbean for putting us on the feature thing because uh, some of you have seemed to have shown up since then. And uh, you may be new to the show and it seems like... You guys are listening to a lot of the past episodes. So if you're a new listener and you've been digging in and listening to some of our stuff, and the reason we can tell is, well, we don't track numbers and we're not numbers driven. When it spikes higher than normal, we kind of notice there's a difference. So, <laughs> and we realize that um, this month alone, Rich and I were talking about this. We, we, we've actually had the most number of downloads we've ever had on the show total total and that's with missing a week <laughs> so there's a there's obvious uh, some back, uh, backdated listening going on so if you are new to voice of reason radio and you have been listening to some of our past episodes we would love to hear from you you can contact us at voice of reason radio at gmail.com let us know how you found us, if it was the feature thing or something else. And if you've been digging in and you're finding uh, that this is a program you enjoy, we'd love to hear from you, not for our own ego's sake, but we'd love to know, is this helpful to you? Has it been meaningful to you? Is there topics that uh, you've, you've heard you would love to see expanded or something you don't see in the seven, nearly seven years? Rich, next this next month is going to be seven years. This is insane. Um, seven, Nearly seven years of recording. It, we'd love to hear about that. Now, if you are also new to the show, we would like to let you know that we are part of the Christian podcast community. 
if you like this program, then you're going to find a whole bunch of programs that you would love to listen to. And we get it. Everybody has a limited, limited space and time for listening to podcasts. But if you are looking for more shows like this or even better shows, because believe me, there are better shows. And we say that not to, for any kind of pat on the back. We, there are really, really good shows out there. Um, go to Christian Podcast Community and peruse the selections. You're going to find great content with great theological uh, backdrop because we all ascribe to some pretty similar theological bents. You have to be screened to get in there. You can't just claim you're a Christian and get in. Uh, we know the guy that runs it and we still had to be screened. Okay, the guy that runs it, Andrew Rappaport, screened his own co-host for making his his co-host getting his own podcast. So we're it's a pretty selective process. We would encourage you go check it out. You'll always find stuff that's great. In fact, I'd love to one of them. I'd love to encourage you to go listen to is uh, Matter of Theology. Our good friend Chris Huff, he he's just dropped yet another one. But I've been uh, you know I listen to all his shows when they come out, and he does such a fantastic job. Very thorough in his research, very thorough in his handling of, uh, of, of theological issues. Totally recommend that. Another great one is our good friend Gene Clyatt over at uh, Squ uh, Squirrel Chatter. Don't let the name fool you. It's a great podcast. He actually, uh, last year, went through the entire, entire Bible, reading it verse by verse throughout the entire year. And this year he's uh, going through a lot of different uh, confessional things. He's, you know, he uh, a lot of uh, texts that uh, help you understand the Christian faith, and he takes time to maybe apply some stuff to, you know, modern uh, modern life in America, specifically talking about uh, political issues and the and how that can uh, apply theologically. So, really recommend both of those. But go check that podcast out now. Again, if you are new going to recommend you check out our website at slavetothekingcom That is where we, if we post stuff blog-wise, it goes there. All of our episodes should post there. Um, been finding a glitch that I've having to work with lately, so that's yeah, we're, we're getting to work around on that. And uh, it's, it has links to all our social media. So going to encourage you go there, sign up to be a follower because social media is a weird thing and and uh, podcast apps can also be a weird thing. So you can go there, be a follower, be able to look us up exactly what came out this week on the website and you can find our other links and you can find the RSS feed if you have a preferred app that you can just drop this podcast into. And finally, one last thing for you YouTubers, we try to remind you guys of this once in a while. Uh, we do have a YouTube channel now. Rich and I have faces for radio, so we don't have a video, <laughs> okay? But what happens is Podbean is kind enough to create a MP4 file that puts the audio with our logo uh, on screen. And I know a lot of people still use that format. They still prefer. I mean, I'm looking at numerous uh, uh, episodes we've aired on YouTube, and it's they're getting their hits because people prefer the YouTube format. So that is another way. Maybe one of these days we'll bring uh, we'll we'll we'll, we'll mess, uh, script the courage a little bit to try and put some video on there. For now, that's a, that's the one way you can do it as well. So hopefully that covers the entire gamut of everything that we do. Um, and before we get into this show, because tonight, I, I, if you're listening to this today on the 27th of March, well, you're probably not listening to it today because it's it's late in the day for us. But today was a very somber day. Please be praying for people 
in Nashville. As you probably know, there was a, a terrible shooting there. Uh, a person who identifies as transgender made a specific plan and entered into a Christian school slash church. Children have died at the hand of this individual. Uh, 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 older people, I believe, who were either administrators or teachers have died. And this person who is no longer in this world and now stands before God in judgment for their for this crime... Um, it was stopped. Their threat was stopped by the police who, who did the right thing and went in and stopped that. It is a very difficult time. Uh, there's going to be a lot of commentary. I just want to extend my personal encouragement to our fellow Christians before we engage in the discussions of gun control, before we get engaged in discussions of mental illness and transgenderism and transgender laws, uh, before we talk about hate crimes, stop, pray for those who are hurting. A pastor who was the head of the church and I guess part of the school that was part of it has lost his nine-year-old child because of this terrible act. Pray for those who are hurting. Pray for those who have lost so much. Pray for the community and pray for those who are going to engage in online vile rhetoric. It's going to come from all sides. Pray that the, uh, the Lord of glory will be glorified and that his gospel will go forth and that people will be comforted through the proclamation of the gospel as they consider what has happened here. So that is my encouragement to you. Before we get into any other topics tonight, please take a moment, pray, think about these issues, and think about how we can be of comfort to those who are hurting in such a terrible, terrible time. So I wanted to get that out as well. Okay, I believe that covers everything. Rich, how are you doing this week, my brother? Oh, as always, brother, better than I deserve. And the sentiment from my brothers and sisters that are in the state of Mississippi, who just recently over this past weekend experienced several major tornadoes yes. and several towns and communities were either completely wiped out or greatly affected, I'd like to add, please pray for those people as well, because over the next few days and the next couple of weeks, as things start to unfold to try to rebuild and things planned out, please be praying for them, because right now there are a great number of people displaced that have Indeed. nowhere to stay. They're staying in emergency shelters or staying in basically a semi-small tent city was erected in one area for people to have somewhere to sleep outside of the weather it, it's really a tragedy um it hit and touched down friday night and and came through basically covered from one end of the state to the other going from west towards east in a northeasterly angle um it, it started at the arkansas mississippi line and carried on over into alabama um where i live was actually in the line that there's a graph that shows where it goes through the state of Mississippi. My county is actually within that line, but it had dissipated prior to reaching my county. And then once it passed over our county and got on the edge of another, it picked back up and then it hit going up through Monroe County, Mississippi, and on up in, into Alabama. And oddly enough, the way the line goes, it actually headed towards where my dad lives in North Alabama. And it went south of his area and clipped where my brother lives and my brother's house. It didn't get hit by the tornado, but it was 
shaking and, and as he put it, it was shaking and rattling to where they thought they were going to lose the roof, but it just, they were just getting offshoot winds, but please play, pray for those communities because there's literally thousands of people without homes and power and everything else right now. But from everything I've seen, the, the communities around these areas have just been pouring in and overwhelmingly responding with trying to do everything they can to the point to where a couple of those areas have had to issue the, the, the sheriffs and the fire departments have had to issue pleas to people to please stop coming in. You're bringing in more stuff than we have to put it. We, we can't, we can't distribute what you've brought already. So for the moment, please stop bringing in food, clothes, and, and water because at the moment we have more than we know what to do with. Yeah. And they've had to turn people away coming in from other communities and even from out of states with chainsaws and, and excavating tools, wanting to start clearing stuff and, you know, clearing and cutting up trees across roads and fields and everything else. And they, they're having to ask them to please hold back. We're not quite ready for that yet. But that's just the type of communities we have in the state of Mississippi that when something happens, everyone in the areas respond and want to jump in mm -hmm. and help as fast and do all that they can. And that's one reason I, I complain a lot about the, the weather in Mississippi and the bugs and the snakes and everything <laughs> else. But really and truly, when it comes to how people care for one another, I don't know if you could find a state that is more dedicated to their communities than the people within the state of Mississippi. And I'd like to point out that when things like this happen, issues about race and all these other things go out the window because whether you're black, pink, purple, white, whatever, it don't matter. People are going to come help you. They're going to donate to you. And sadly, our local weatherman issued a small prayer while he was watching radar prior to the tornado hitting Monroe County, it hit a little town called Amory. He saw it on the radar right before it hit. He said a little prayer on television. I can't believe some people were actually talking about filing a suit and complaint oh, with the FCC because he said the word Jesus on air, and they said that that, would, that, that was offensive. And I'm sorry, oh, I just find Lord. that very, very sad. But um, I, I'd like to thank our listeners and our friends and brothers and sisters that we know online. I've had quite a few of you reach out wanting to make sure and check on me and my family. And yes, I, I, we're all safe and we're okay. And I do appreciate your thoughts and prayers and your words and, and, and everything else. But I just wanted to add that too, because there's been a lot seems like going on in the last week between the weather and everything else. And like I said, there were multiple cities and communities in Mississippi, generally on the major news, one or two are the only ones that's ever really highlighted. But um, I am so glad to be back with my brother Chris tonight. It's been far too long. Um, personally, for me and my household, there's just been a lot going on. I haven't been able to join Chris, and I'd like to thank our brother Andy Olson for filling in a couple of weeks ago. And we've had to drop a couple of reruns, and we have tried to do tonight's recording I think this is like number three or number four. Yeah, I think this attempt. is attempt three. <laughs> yeah. But as um, far as other podcasts, I would like to throw in a couple of more names real quick before we get started. It's Hearts for the Lost mm, podcast yes. and another podcast that's new. They've only dropped about three or four episodes, and they are on Podbean. 
and they're not part of the Christian podcast community, but it's by a dear brother of ours that we know online, and I've listened to their episodes, and they're doing something very unique. The name of the show is A Puritan Whale. They are discussing Puritan writings, books written by the Puritans, books based on the Puritans, and I don't remember the name of the book they're going through at the moment, but what they're doing is going through a particular book written by the Puritans, discussing it. So if you like the writings of the Puritans, if you like Puritan books, if you like really deep, rich theology, I would encourage you to go look it up and listen to them. The name of the podcast, once again, is A Puritan Whale. And best I could tell, looking on Podbean, they're really the only show on there with the title, with the word Puritan in the title itself, unlike um, a show that we're doing right now that we didn't research it well enough that people sometimes confuse us with an atheist show that happens to be out there. But anyway, a few of them. All that aside, all that aside, brother, how are you doing? And are you ready to jump in to tonight's topic? Well, considering last week when we tried to do this on Monday, I was sick, feeling sick as a dog. Yeah, I'm much better, and so yeah, I'm definitely ready <laughs> to jump in. In fact, let's let's do that. So, um, and uh, uh, the show Rich is talked about is it's the Puritan Well podcast. Uh, I'll see if I can find the link for it uh, in uh, on Podbean, but the Puritan Well podcast is uh, definitely want you guys to go check that out. So. Uh, getting into tonight's program, which was really something that was a couple weeks ago that we wanted to do, and it might seem a little dated to you guys, but um, it's still very relevant because, as Rich, you and I were talking about in pre-show, uh, this is going to come up in, in the, the upcoming SBC convention this summer. So basically, to, to kind of set the scene, former pastor of Saddleback Church, now retired, uh, Rick Warren, the reason uh, that this has become an SBC issue is uh, Saddleback Church has been part and is one of the like one of the largest that has been uh, part of the SBC for a long time. And a couple of years ago, they ordained publicly three women as pastors. Now, if you follow this show at all, if you believe in biblical uh, truth, if you believe the scriptures to be true you immediately recognize the problems with that because of the qualifications that we see in both in 1 Timothy and Titus with regard to who is you know scripturally qualified to be in the position of elder. And by the way, that's men, and they have to be qualified men. Uh, most men would not be in the position to be a pastor. So it is, you know, there's a biblical qualification for that. And so as part of the SBC's Baptist Faith and Message, which is the kind of governing document where they, it, if you all have to be in, I think the phrase is friendly cooperation. Isn't that right, Rich? Uh, yes. So friendly cooperation, meaning you all ascribe and agree to kind of abide by the Baptist Faith and Message. The Baptist Faith and Message makes it clear that it holds to those biblical qualifications for the position of elder or pastor. So they did this in basically open defiance of the Baptist faith and message. And Rick Warren um, came to last year's SBC, was given an unprecedented opportunity to speak for, I think, well over six minutes, six, seven minutes at the mic, where he gave, basically gave his, uh, his bona fides and said how important and the work that he and Saddleback has been to the SBC and all the work that they've done. 
and because at that time, it, you know, the credentials committee was supposed to be making a decision as to what to do with the uh, with Saddleback Church because they were defying, openly defying, uh, the Baptist face and message. Well, recently, credentials committee finally made their recommendation, and they disfellowshipped Saddleback along with several other churches within the SBC for exactly this reason for ordaining women in the role of pastor. So fast forward to a couple weeks ago, Rick Warren was on uh, Russell Moore's podcast. Russell Moore is the former head of the uh, ERLC, Ethics and Religious Liberty Council of the SBC. He is now like one of the, I think he's like the editor-in-chief at Christianity Today. And so Rick Warren made his case that he believes that there is a biblical reason that to ordain women pastors. And so he went through three specific passages, which we're going to kind of talk about tonight. And so what we want to do is play this two-minute clip. Now, we originally saw it from a, a friend of ours on Twitter uh, by the name of Terry Green. It, uh, she and others, including uh, one that goes by the title Woke Preacher Clips, shared this two-minute clip, uh, two minutes and 19 seconds. So I want to give credit because that's where you and I first saw it. it was Terry Green that shared it. But the reason I'm going to share Woke Preacher Clips in the link is because Woke Preacher Clips has a number of uh, follow-on video clips that give con additional context. Now, we're not going to go through all those clips tonight. So if you want to see more of the context of that, that's where we're, uh, we're going to direct you. That'll be in the show notes as well. So, Hey, brother. Yes. Before you play that audio clip, mm -hmm. if I, I want to address the listeners. If there's someone listening to this podcast, that supports Rick Warren, that supports the idea that women can preach and teach, that, you know, you disagree with what you've heard to this point, I would like to ask you to listen to the remainder of this episode, because when we go through these verses, we're not going in with a predetermined notion. We're not going into these verses with something else in mind. We're going to the verses, and we're going to examine what God's Word actually says about God's Word. Um, in the videos and in the, in the article in Christianity Today, Rick Warren himself admits he could be wrong about his interpretation of these verses, and that's important to remember. He states he could be wrong about his interpretations of these verses. Now, we won't get into the difference between interpretation and application tonight, but I just want the listeners to be open-minded and remember that, that Rick Warren himself says he could be wrong. My question and my challenge to anyone listening to this episode is to keep your mind open and, and truly ask yourself, could you be wrong about your understanding of these verses? Could, be, could you be wrong about the issue of women, women being allowed to preach and teach in a church? Could you be wrong about it being okay for a woman to be a pastor? Now, a lot of people will default and defend Rick Warren because of whatever reasons that they, they love to listen to him preach or teach or thinks he's a great pastor, whatever. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you agree with what Chris and I are going to say tonight, and it really doesn't matter whether you agree with Rick Warren or not. The only thing that really matters is what Scripture has declared on a subject. That overrides our own personal wants and desires. Now, personally, I will disclose this. Personally, I would love for women to be able to be 
preachers and be pastors. I know I have some very, very dear sisters that are very, very well versed, that are very articulate, that can that could open up scriptures and proclaim and teach and explain the deeper meanings of these verses and the deeper meanings of the things of Christ that are very theologically rich and, and trained and would make excellent pastors or preachers. But I have to throw aside my wants, my desires, or my preferences, and I have to submit to what the Word of God actually states. So with that being said, let's let's proceed onward, brother. Indeed. And, and it, if you are interested in getting into like a, like a really deep dive onto in this, Rich and I actually did a two-part episode uh, back in December for uh, you know responding to Dr. Beth Allison Barr, who is a huge advocate for women uh, being made, uh, in, uh, made pe- preachers or being in the pulpit as pastors. And uh, I'll, sh- I'll share those links in the show notes. We went into a lot of detail discussing this various specific things that people and uh, the objections that people will use with regard to, well, what about, and what about this instance? And what about scripture says here? We took a long time going into that over the course of two episodes. So I'll put those in show notes. I would really encourage you to do that. So the first thing I want to do is play this two minute clip because in this, and, and, and there's a, an article at Christianity Today, which is basically the uh, the entire interview in print form. So if you're a person who likes to read more than listen, then you can go, uh, we'll share that link to the Christianity Today article as well. The reason this is important, the reason these three passages that we want to get into are important is because Rick Warren says, people don't deal with this. I think in one point he even said, John MacArthur doesn't even cover this. Now, I don't think he says it in this clip, but he said it elsewhere. And if, if he's going to make that claim, then it's worth spending time to say, okay, you say that in spite of what appears to be very clear instructions for the ordaining of pastors and elders in Titus and Timothy, which specifically deal with that, you have counter passages that address that. Well, let's, let's take a listen to what he says, and then Rich and I will start getting into this. So hold on here. I understand why people get upset about this, because I believed the way they did until three years ago. Mm. And I actually had to change because of scripture. Culture could not change me on this issue. Antidotes could not change me on this issue. Pressure from other people would not change me on this issue. What changed me was when I came to confrontation with four scriptures nobody ever talked about that I felt had strong implications about women in ministry. And nobody had ever shown it to me. Now, Great Commission. No, I'm sorry. The music you're hearing, because this is a video, is the uh, person who put the video together. Here's Proof Text 1. Here's Proof Text 2. Here's Proof Text 3. So if you hear the music and you're not understanding why, that's what that's for. So my apologies. Let me continue. uh, Let me back it up just a hair. And... uh, you know, we'll do this again. And it's, you know, so Rick Warren's biblical case for female er, uh, elders, proof text number one, and then he speaks. So sorry about that. I should have explained. Now, great commission, go make disciples, baptize, teach. You can't say, well, the first two are for men and women. The last two are only for men or maybe just ordained men. That's eisegesis. That's I, you, you got a problem. Who authorized women to teach? Jesus. All authority is given to me. Therefore, teach. All authority is given to me, therefore baptize. You got a problem with the Great Commission. 
I had to repent when I actually looked at the Great Commission. Hmm. I had to say, it's not just for ordained men. It's for everybody. On that day in, at Pentecost, we know women were in the upper room. We know women were filled with the Holy Spirit. Hmm. We know that women were preaching in languages that other people couldn't hear to a mixed audience. We know women, it wasn't just men. Women were preaching on the day of Pentecost. How do we know that? Because Peter felt obligated to explain it. The very first Christian sermon, the message of the gospel of good news of the resurrection, Jesus chose a woman to deliver it to men. He had Mary Magdalene go and tell the disciples. Now that clearly wasn't an accident. It was an intentional. It's a whole new world, baby. Now he has a woman go tell the apostles. You got on, can a woman teach an apostle? Evidently did it on the first day. He chose her to be the first preacher of the gospel. I understand. Oh, there we go. Uh, it's interesting. He's, the, the video clip ends. He said verse, uh, verse four, a reason for no proof text given. So he never gives a fourth passage. Um, so what, what we have are passages out of Matthew, out of Acts, and then basically from various passages regarding Mary Magdalene being told to go tell the apostles that he had risen. So those are, okay, the, those real, are the three areas that he's, he's appealing to, brother. Well, to give Rick Warren credit, when it said three passages, he actually was including Luke and John in right. the account of when the woman or Mary went and, and Jesus had, was, was, had rose from the dead. Um, we will give him that bit because some people have tried to make something out of the fact with, well, he claimed four passages. He only provided three. Well, that's why there yeah. seems to be a discrepancy. And now we, we're trying to be fair here and give him the benefit of the doubt and, and, and credit and, and do what we can to be unbiased in this discussion. So I just wanted to kind of put that out there, brother. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I mean, because the last one is really appealing to, to various passages. The, the one that really stood out to me was the first one regarding the Great Commission, and that's out of Matthew chapter 28. And we'll, we'll, we'll go to verse 16 where this kind of starts. And he says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, this is what we call the Great Commission. This is Jesus's essentially marching orders to the apostles and really to the church in its entirety. Rich, the first thing I notice is that when, he, when, when Rick Warren says, this is telling all Christians to... Go and teach, go and baptize, uh, and and make disciples. That's to all Christians. Now, in one respect, I will agree he is correct. The Great Commission, the discipling of the nations, is to the church throughout all places at all times. 
every Christian has an obligation in some capacity to make disciples. There's no question of that. Here's where I have an issue, and I actually you know, shared my thoughts about this on Twitter when it first came out. When Rick Warren says this, he says it as a trump card. Like, anything else that would be read to be interpreted as there is a limitation in some capacity, no, it can't be because this passage is for all Christians everywhere at all times. Now, I find it interesting that Rick Warren doesn't use this passage to say that uh, rapists should be pastors or murderers should be pastors or that uh, people of bad reputation should be pastors or men who don't have, who have not led their homes well should be pastors. But he does say, well, that means that women should be pastors. The reason I bring that up is the best way I can describe this, and Rich, you know, give your thoughts on this as well, is my first thing is that you're absolutely right. This is the overall mission of the church. It is the when everything else goes falls apart. There are so many debates right now about cultural engagement, social engagement, political engagement, about where the church belongs. When all of that falls apart. When nothing, there's nothing else, you have the mission to go forth and make disciples of every nation, teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded, and baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Absolutely the mission of the church. However, that is the overall mission of the church. It's kind of like if you have a military operation, take D-Day back in World War II, and you have the the general mission was to basically hit Normandy Beach and all these and, and all these other invasions going into Europe. They were going to ram every piece of military hardware, weaponry, and soldier they have down the Germans' throats. That was the overall plan. What does that now look like once you've developed that's your your overall plan? You start breaking out everybody's individual orders. This unit's going to do this. These soldiers are going to go there. This air attack's going to happen here. The naval ships are going to bombard. The, the landing craft are going to come up and drop soldiers on the beach. Everybody has specific duties and roles to fulfill the overall mission. When Rick Warren says, well, Matthew 28, 16 through 20, that's the Great Commission, and that's for every Christian, so therefore you cannot say women cannot teach and be pastors. What he's saying is, ignore the remaining portions of the New Testament, because those are the individual things that we are taught by the apostles, the very men that Jesus was speaking to, and also Paul later, who Christ himself called and taught in the wilderness for three years. That's Paul's testimony. All that they wrote to the church comes from the teachings of Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as instructions to the church to be obeyed in the commission of this overall mission. So when you have, for example, Paul telling Timothy, let's, let, let me just take you to Timothy real quick, because I want to read something to you uh, about what Timothy's, the letter to Timothy was about. Um, let me see if I can find this real quick. I, I'm doing this on the fly because I didn't think about doing this beforehand. Um, 
and I actually might be Titus I'm thinking of. Uh, yeah, so he, in the letter to Titus, my apologies, I got ahead of myself. Um, in chapter 1, verse 5, Paul writing to Titus says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Right From there, he then goes into qualifications for elders. Paul writing to Timothy is giving him instructions about the order and function of the church. So Paul, as an apostle, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, taught by Christ who gave the Great Commission, gives specific instructions about the role and function of certain persons within the church to Titus and Timothy. These are specific, there's a specific reason. Why? Because as individuals who are not only pastors in their area, but church planners and raising up people within their churches to go out and be pastors and plant churches, they are furthering the Great Commission by doing exactly what Paul has instructed them to do. When Rick Warren says, well, nobody ever showed me this, nobody ever dealt with this, he, in, I'm going to steal a line from Todd Friel of Wretched Radio, in one respect, he's right, because they've never done it the way Rick Warren is doing it. When you read these scriptures, and if you go to commentaries, and you go to the pastors, and you go to the Puritans, and you go to the theologians of old, why do they never interpret the, this passage the way that Rick Warren is interpreting it? Because there's no warrant to do so. There's nothing here in this passage, in verses 16 to 20 of Matthew 28, which give you the breakout of how the form and function of the church are supposed to be. What you have is the church's mission statement. Go forth, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, Rich, if a let's, let's just say you and I are not pastors, but according to Rick Warren, we should be pastors because this is limited to, to no one, correct? Well, absolutely, and I'll get to that portion of, of his own comments in a few minutes time permitting, but one thing that, well, actually, John MacArthur did address that because he spoke in reference to the Great Commission. He said the primary mission of the church is to train up the body for the, no, the primary ministry of the church is to train up, train up the body for the primary mission of the church, which is the Great Commission. Amen. Um, I kind of butcher that quote, <laughs> but what people don't seem to realize when, when we get into the New Testament, when we get to this point forward, because this is the end of the Gospels, next we, we, we go to the book of Acts, which is an extension of the Great Commission. Um, I may not know much, but I know the book of Acts, because I probably have studied it more than I have any other book of the Bible for the last 10 years or so. But the next step from Luke is the book of Acts. First, and I've been guilty of this in the past myself, one thing that is um, imposed into this is that a lot of people assume that when Paul mentions the 500 in Corinthians, mm -hmm. they're imposing or they're supposing that the 500 were there at the mountain with the 11. 
no, there's no indication that there were ever anyone present when this was th- these marching orders were given by Christ to the apostles. There's no indication in Scripture that anyone else was there besides the 11. Now, to give Rick Warren the benefit of the doubt, I went and looked at some cross-references and parallel verses. I went through 46 different Bible translations. All of them always reference the 11. Mm -hmm. Now, the wording may be different, but the fact that 46 different English translations and even some foreign translations always refer to the 11. There's no indication that anyone else other than those 11 were present when the Great Commission was given. Now, the misunderstanding sometimes comes in from what Paul had written, and I'm sorry my notes jumped on me, some misunderstanding comes in when what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, here we go, 1 Corinthians 15.8, Paul stated, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. One thing that needs to be done is a study of the appearance of Christ after his death. There, uh, there's, if Chris would put them into the links, a couple of articles that goes through the appearance of Christ after his death when, when he appeared to the disciples. First and foremost, we need to understand that the the reference to the 500 was in Corinthians. We know then that he appeared to the 500 at some point, but he appeared to all the apostles, and lastly, he appeared to Paul. The the apostles that they're speaking of would have been the 11 on the mount in Galilee, but more times than not, people will take the reference of that 500 and suppose that they were there with the 11 apostles, but... Even if the 500 were present at that moment when Christ gave the Great Commission, whether it be in the Gospels, whether it's in this verse, whether it's in the Book of Acts, whether it's later on in Paul's writings, he distinctly and always refers to either the 11 or the 12. The verses always go back and reference the apostles as the primary leaders and teachers and pastors in the early church. Now, most of us, or hopefully most of our listeners, would understand that the Bible itself is the progressive revelation of Jesus Christ. What people don't seem to realize or they forget is that the New Testament can also be seen as the progressive revelation of Christ building his church Mm -hmm. on earth. And in the beginning of the church, when Christ told Peter, that I will build my church on this cornerstone, on my word. The next step was to give the Great Commission to the apostles. Then he told them to go to Jerusalem and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. There's a progressive revelation of the authority that Christ is going to give. The the church and its ordinances and, and the established way of doing things did not all come about at once. It's like looking back at creation. Christ on the first day created this or God created this, on the second day he created this, on the third day he created this. The building of his church goes along the same suit. I mean, God, in his sovereignty and and infinite power, could have created everything in the snap of a finger and not have taken six days to create all of everything. The same applies to the building of his church. 
it starts out with the apostles going to Jerusalem and then the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then later on, we see the establishment of deacons to serve the body of Christ, mm -hmm. not to lead, not to be an authority, but to serve the body of Christ. For those that want to claim that Phoebe was a deaconess, thus she has authority, which is a proof that women can lead and teach men. No, it doesn't. It just states that she served others. The word deacon itself means to serve, to be a servant. Um, unfortunately, in today's age, the word deacon has become synonymous in a lot of denominations and churches with the word elder. And I know in a lot of the SBC churches I've attended or been a member of, they are deacon-led. They have a pastor and they have a board of deacons. They don't have elders. These deacons operate in a position of authority like an elder does. That's not how it applies in the biblical context of the New Testament. Deacons were servants. Those seven that were called out because Peter said, it's not right for me to serve tables and abandon the preaching and teaching. So they appointed seven to serve tables. Phoebe was a deaconess. She served the sick, the poor, the hungry, the homeless. So first we need to understand that the word deacon or deaconess means servant. It doesn't mean leader. It doesn't mean eldership. Mm -hmm. And when Peter, um, excuse me, when Paul is given the qualifications of deacons, he states they must serve well, not meaning, it doesn't mean that they must serve the church well. He meant that they must serve others well, that they need to be other-minded, not be selfish or wrapped up in their own thoughts and desires and wants and wishes like Judas, who would steal money out of the purse and pad his own pockets instead of giving it to the poor. He was saying that deacons must not be like, they can't be like Judas. they got to be con generally concerned for the welfare and being of others. So throughout the New Testament, as we go from the book of Acts into the writings of Paul and Corinthians and into Timothy and into Titus and go through this timeline, we're seeing the progressive revelation of Christ establishing his church. First, he builds his church. He's, he sends or he allows Paul to persecute or Saul to persecute the church because they wouldn't they were not obeying the Great Commission. They built the church and if Christ ever intended for one perfect church to be on this earth, it would have been the first church in Jerusalem where everyone was helping each other and loving on each other and providing food and doing all these things that people talk about today, but they still were not obeying what Christ had commanded was to go. And I still think that's one reason that he allowed Saul to rise up and persecute the church so they would actually scatter and go. Because at that point, they were not. Now, in the, in the ordin ordination of the church and establishing his church, his way, according to his rules and his governing authority, Christ makes it clear. Christ is head of the church. The church is the head of the body. And, you know, the man's the head of the wife, and as it, as it goes Forth, I apologize, I don't have that verse in front of me right now. But he's establishing his, his order, his, his way of, quote-unquote, doing church, his orthopraxy of the church. It, didn't, he, it doesn't state it all at one time, just like creation. It was a progressive building, a progressive establishing of his church, because at first, the Word of God, Christ, came to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. Paul was sent out to the Gentiles, who even then first went to the synagogues to bring the message about Christ, the Messiah. Once they rejected it or cast him out or tried to kill him, he left and went to the Gentiles. Then we get into the establishment of 
church order, church government, where you have a pastor, you have elders, you have deacons, you have the body. And one thing people seem to forget and, and not realize, yes, the Great Commission was the overall mission statement of the church itself. Over time, Christ defined and basically took a scalpel to that command and gave specific orders, duties, and responsibilities to individuals in carrying out the Great Commission. It never, nowhere in the Bible does it say a woman cannot teach and she cannot hold authority, but it is very specific as to where and to whom she can teach and to what authority she does have mm-hmm. over others, whether it be to teaching younger women or to teaching children. Just like it gives specific commands to men, we are to be heads of our household. We are to teach our wives. We are to teach our children. But yet we are to submit to the church. We are to submit to Christ as the head of the church. Not every man is allowed to be a pastor, but every man is commanded by God to be a teacher and preacher, so to speak, of his own home. So it's not a matter that women can't teach and exercise authority. It's a matter of God specifically defines those roles for women just like he specifically defines those roles for men when it applies to family. And then only certain men are called by Christ to head, to be leadership in the church, to be pastors of the church, to teach the church, to teach the body as a whole, men and women and children. And I think these are some concepts that are forgotten when it comes to some of these issues that we forget that it is the church belongs to Christ. We belong to the body of Christ. It's just like you and I, Chris, we're we're husbands and we're fathers. The responsibility of our household falls on us. The responsibility of, of ruling, or not ruling, but running our household falls on us. Mm-hmm. We've been given authority by Christ to oversee our homes and our families' lives. The pastor's been given the duty by Christ to oversee the church. So we have to make sure that we are properly putting into place our perspective roles and duties that Christ has given to us. The sad thing is where the problem comes in is that people are not satisfied with the roles and duties and responsibilities that Christ has issued to them. They want more. They think they deserve Mm -hmm. more. They think they should be doing more. That's part of denying self is denying our own wants, our own desires, and submitting to the Word of God and conforming our lives to the image of Christ, including all that he has written. So, you know, as, as we're going forward, I went a little bit longer than I really <laughs> meant to, and I think we probably have about another half hour to cover the other two yeah, absolutely. verses. No, and that's but, absolutely, um, I, I, don't worry about that. I think that was absolutely necessary, so don't even sweat that. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting because... Building off of what you said, when we look at the book of Acts, that was his other big thing is, you know, uh, Acts chapter 2 and the day of Pentecost. But he he makes a claim about Acts 2, 1 through 18, that we know there were women present. We know that they were speaking in tongues. We know that they were preaching. And I find that interesting because when you read verses 1 through 18, it doesn't say that there's anything about the women being present. You have to go back to chapter 1, after Christ's ascension, to where you find any mention of the women that were present. And now, there's a period of time that passes from Christ's ascension 
to Pentecost. These are two separate events, but I believe, and if we go through this, I believe what we'll be able to show is he's playing fast and loose with the wording so that he can eisegete these women into what happened at Pentecost. And that's important because he's telling you, we know they were doing this. So it was after Christ ascended up into heaven that um, after they said, will you establish your kingdom now? And he says, you know, uh, you know, um, you know, he's, he's uh, going up out of their sight and, you know, the angels tell them, hey, why are you standing here looking up the, uh, you know, the, this Jesus who, who was taken up into heaven will come to you in the same way as you saw him going to heaven. So in other words, he'll come back uh, in the same way. In verse 12 of chapter 1, it says, They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, and a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these were with one accord and were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So stop right there. This is immediately following Christ's ascension into heaven. Okay, this is right after that. that. Now, this is not Pentecost. This is a separate period preceding Pentecost. Now, in verses 15 through 26, it says, and it is where Matthias is called to replace Judas, who had betrayed Jesus. And it starts in that, pat, in this, in that section, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. So, we now have a period of time that has advanced. In this passage, he said he stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was all was in all about 120. He stood up among the brothers. There's no mention of Mary and the other women in this passage. From 15 to 26, you see Peter and the other apostles praying and discussing who should take uh, you know, um, Judas's place. There is no reference to any of the women here. This is a period of time that is separate from their return to Jerusalem from the Mount of, uh, Mount of Olives. Now, in chapter 2, we advance to Pentecost. We don't know exactly how much time went from this moment where they chose Matthias to Pentecost. The scriptures do not tell us. But this is where it says, When the day of Pentecost, Pentecost arrived, they were all in one place together. They all who? We don't have a specific listing until we get to verse 14 where Peter gives the sermon in which 3,000 people are saved. And he says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. So Pentecost, whereas the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the people in the uh, uh, gathered in one place, where, and it says, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them, and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, what we have are three separate moments, the immediate return from Olivet, sometime later, the apostle, uh, the uh, the brethren of about 120 coming together to select Matthias and then Pentecost. The moment 
what I believe Rick Warren is doing is he is using that immediate moment after they return back from all of that, where Mary and other women are present. He's conflating it with, in those days, the period of time where Matthias is chosen, and chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. He is telling us that verse 14 is... Uh, it means that every verse thereafter from verse 15 to verse 18 of chapter 2, the women were always present. But there is nothing in here, Rich, that I've read that tells us that these women were present other than their immediate return back to Jerusalem. Would you say that's correct? Well, and, and let's look at it and just give Rick Warren the benefit of a doubt. Okay, let's let's say that he is correct, that those women were present on the day of Pentecost, that they were given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and they were speaking in other tongues. Mm-hmm. What does that what would that mean in context of this first? Well, let's look at it. Um, first, it we know that from the moment the Holy Spirit came upon them and they started speaking in other tongues and the and the multitude heard the sound like a mighty rushing wind it states that they, the multitude came together. Well, first, there's going to be a time lapse in there and how long it takes for that multitude to come together because mm-hmm. they would 3,000 or 5,000 people would have been spread out all over Jerusalem. We don't know how many were in the multitude, only that 3,000 were given the gift of salvation. So when it speaks of the multitude, first, we don't know how many multitude, we don't know how many that is. And then secondly, only, you know, but with logic, they were they weren't all already standing you know outside wherever it was that Peter and the apostles and disciples were at so it had to have been some time for that multitude to come together now a clarifier later on and what Rick Warren addressed was when Peter quotes Joel that in the last days you women and men will prophesy and you old men will see visions and young men will dream dreams okay just extrapolating from that, okay, let's let's say, okay, the women were speaking in tongues. But there's also that other clarifier that you mentioned, that Peter standing with the eleven, mm-hmm. meaning they were standing up. They were the ones doing the preaching. Actually, the only one ever indicated that spoke was Peter, but the other eleven apostles stood up with him, meaning that they were, you know, up there with him. He stood with them like pastors and elders. But back to what I was saying, if the women were present and they were speaking in tongues, they would have been outside with the apostles and other disciples. Well, what would these women have been doing while the multitude were coming up? They would have been speaking and talking with one another, with the people that came up, but they were speaking in tongues, just like the other 100 plus men that would have been in that upper room. See that that is the key. If if we take that time time and and overlap it like you said into to this that all hundred and twenty people were granted the gift of the Holy Spirit and they hundred and twenty so were speaking in tongues. Only the only the twelve apostles stood up. So what were all these other people doing, including the women? They would have been basically mingling around in the crowds, talking and giving their testimony giving their witness, talking about what had happened. They were not preaching to the crowds. They were not overseeing the crowds. They were not, they were not 
you know, doing exegetical type teaching to the crowds. They were simply telling what had happened. They would have been conveying the death and rising of Christ. They would have been communicating what happened. In other words, they would have been witnessing. They would have been evangelizing, which is what the Great Commission teaches us to do. But ironically, in all of these passages, like you said, it never references the women again. In fact, when Peter stands up to talk, he's always addressing the brothers. He's always addressing mm-hmm. the men of Jerusalem. He never goes back and references the women again. So after that mention of the women in the upper room, they're not mentioned again. So either, the, like you said, either the women were not there on the day of Pentecost speaking in tongues, or if they were, like, Rick Warren says, and we apply that to what Peter's sermon was about Joel, that the women were out and about speaking in tongues, it still doesn't prove or it still doesn't even come close to meaning that they were standing up preaching to the crowds, because only Peter did that, and he stood with the other 11. You still have another 100 or so, 90, 80, we don't know how many women were up there, but say, say there were 20 women, you still have another... 80 or 90 men that were not standing up preaching, that were not standing up speaking to the multitudes. You only had Peter and the 11. Mm-hmm. They were the ones that did the preaching, that did the teaching. The others were, were more than likely mingling around the crowds, talking to one another, talking to each other. And, I mean, it could have been a matter that two women were standing there talking to each other and men were within earshot distance that were from all these different areas, and each one of them heard them these women speaking in their own tongues, because it says they were speaking, they heard them speaking in their own tongues. It doesn't say they heard them preaching or teaching in their own tongues. It only says that they heard them speaking in their own terms. So at this point, based on what Rick Warren said, we would have to assume that if someone's engaging in evangelism, if someone is giving their testimony, if someone is stating what they witnessed, by his logic, then that person would be preaching. They wouldn't be evangelizing. They wouldn't be engaging in witnessing. They would be preaching, which kind of overlaps with something that he said in that interview, that now everyone can pray, everyone can teach, everyone can preach. Um, Rick Warren, have you not read the rest of Paul's statements on the qualifications of teachers and pastors and overseers, he specifically goes into detail saying that only this man is qualified to preach. Based on Rick Warren's statements, there are no qualifications for pastor. There Mm -hmm. are no qualifications for elder. So either all of the Bible is true, all the writings in the New Testament are true, all of Paul's writings are in fact scripture, as Peter attested to, or none of them are. We can't take and cherry-pick what we want here and there and here and there, because, because even if some scriptures seem to contradict themselves, they truly actually don't. Don't. It's our understanding that can be limited at times. Now, I admit there are some issues in scripture that can be hard to understand, that do seem to contradict themselves, so to speak, that, are, that could be considered maybe secondary issues. But when it comes to... Paul's laying out explicitly who can be a teacher, who can be a preacher, 
what the roles of men and women are in family and home. It is as black and white as it can be. I mean, when he says, I don't allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, that's just as clear and plain as when Christ said to look with lust, you've committed adultery of the heart. I mean, it is a very emphatic, clear-cut statement. There's nothing hard in that to Mm -hmm. understand. There's only people that will take scriptures to twist to their own meaning, just like Peter stated when he was referenced in Paul's writing. I'll give it back to you, brother. Yeah. Amen. No, absolutely, brother. Absolutely. And I agree with all of that. And here's the thing. And I, 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 the reason I, I really want to focus on that timeline is because Rick Warren says, we know those women were, were present. We know that they were uh, speaking in tongues. We know that they were preaching. How? How do you know? The only reference in those two chapters to Mary and the other women is verse 14, chapter 1, which is immediately following Christ's ascension and their return to Jerusalem. From 15, verse 15, chapter 1, to the end of chapter 2, there is no mention of these women being present. And at the time they chose Matthias, he was speaking to the brothers 120 present when he spe- when he preached and by the way the only person in at pentecost who preached is peter because from verse 14 all the way to verse 41 it is peter who is speaking and he and it says in verse 40 and with many uh, with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them. So we have no evidence from Scripture other than Rick Warren insisting that verse 14 means that they were present throughout all of this. Now, Rich, you give a, you, you give a very compelling point. Even if we want to assume that those women are present, there are things that we could assume about what happened. But we have not none of that from Scripture. And what we have is the brethren, all the brothers, from verse 15 through verse 26. And then what we know for sure is the 11, because that's who Peter stood with when he spoke. Warren is doing the very thing that he's accusing people like Rich and myself of doing, he's eisegeting. He's inserting, reading into Scripture. And that's why I want to make a point of this. He is saying, I never saw saw this before. I never read this before. It wasn't until people showed me. Stop right there. Pastor Warren, or retired Pastor Warren, if you've read this so many times and you never saw it until it was later showed to you, it's because it isn't there and you read it in. Whatever you may want to assume about the other people present, there is not one shred of evidence from verse 15 of chapter 1 to uh, verse 41 of chapter 2 that any of the women were preaching, that any of the women were the ones speaking and preaching the gospel. Not one shred of biblical evidence, Rich. Hey, 
brother, the only reference that could be extrapolated and implied that women were there would be in Acts 2, verse 15. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, meaning the multitude. And Peter stated, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Well, he was distinguishing between the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. The other obscure reference that people try to twist and, and claim that the women, and I mean, it's a hard, hard stretch, but since Peter stated these people are not drunk, that that means that he's including men and women and not just the men there. Um, that would be possibly an argument that the women were out mingling around among the crowds. But even then, it would apply back to the fact that if they were there mingling and speaking in tongues, they would have been witnessing, testifying, evangelizing. That is the only other reference that does not specifically state men or, or brothers or fathers. Now, we get down into Acts 2. This is another clarifier that really should bring attention to all this. In Acts 2, verse 37, Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, mm -hmm. Brothers, what shall we do? They didn't ask um, men and women. It didn't say people, what shall we do? This specifically goes to a point and states that these that were converted, that were convicted, were looking back to Peter and the rest of the apostles, asking, what shall we do? We've been convicted. We've been cut to the heart. What shall we do? None of the other men are the ones that are being addressed and asked this question, but it is only Peter and the apostles that are asked this. And then when we get into verse 42, once the church is established, and all of these new believers are coming together, what happened? Acts 2.42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt there were no women apostles. We have the names of all 12 listed that this would have applied to. There were no women apostles. Apostles at that point in time were still, for lack of a better word in modern terms, they were still the lead pastor. They were still the primary ones that were teaching, that were pastoring this new flock that just recently became saved. And, and even then, there's a time gap. We don't know exactly how long it was in that. But like you said, the only time men, women were mentioned was at the beginning, back in Acts 1 and possibly 2, but even then, it never references the women as preaching or teaching. Now, if you look over into, um, I, think, I forget exactly where it's at, but it's after Saul ravages the church, and it talks about they went about, give me just a second and I'll pull it up for you. Um, in Acts 8, verse, in Acts, excuse me, in Acts chapter 8, verses 4, it talks about they went about preaching the word doing a deep study on that, the Greek meaning of the word preach in, in most translations, most translations use the word preach, and the LSB uses the word proclaim. But the Greek root of the word in both cases, whether the, the your version uses the word preach or proclaim, the Greek word is 
in essence, evangelize. I'm not going to try to pronounce it at this moment. I don't want Dr. White slapping my knuckles. But, um, but the better red rendering of this particular verse, rather than use the word preach or proclaim, would be they went about announcing the good news about salvation. I've seen people twist and say, well, see, the Bible states right there that these women that were scattered from Jerusalem after Saul rose up and was persecuting the church, they went about preaching. So that means women can preach. No. In the Greek, that word means evangelize. It specifically states that. It would be our equivalent of evangelize. They went about teach. They didn't go about preaching and teaching. They went about proclaiming. And if you like today's modern terminology, which I don't, they went about sharing the gospel. They went about witnessing. They went about testifying to what they have witnessed and, and seen. And I keep using that word a lot because it'll have a better impact here in just a moment. But they were announcing they were testifying just like you would testify to what you witnessed sitting in a courtroom um you know they were testifying they were giving a an account as witnesses to what they had both gone through what they had seen christ rising from the dead christ being the promised messiah they were not preaching and teaching in the context that we think of it today. And I, and I really believe that that has caused a lot of confusion over the last 50 or 60 years when it comes to the issue of women preaching. And that's, and I'll jump ahead just a moment. Prior to 1970, among mainstream Protestants, the idea of a woman preaching in the local church was so foreign it was never even discussed or talked about because the scriptures specifically state, I do not allow a woman to preach or exercise authority over a man. They understood that to mean exactly as it is written out. It was because of influence of society and some other forms of religion and other offshoots of Christianity that brought all this in. Um, fast forward a little bit to the year 2000 when the BF Baptist Faith the message statement in 2000 was written, and they added this portion in there that a woman cannot serve as pastor. There was a reason why that was included, because leading up to the year 2000, some Southern Baptist churches had started embracing this new teaching, this new way of doing church. You know, I do in air quotes, doing church, but that was the reason, and to give Rick Warren credit, the, the preamble of the BFM 2000 does state that this is not binding on a church, meaning that this is not a confession of faith, that this is not a contract. Because it does, he was right, it does state that, that basically we can't hold you accountable to doing all this, but this is what we deem as in good fellowship, and, and those that rule and, and those that wording has been kind of loosey-goosey over the years. But in 2018, because, believe it or not, of things that arose about the, the um, abuse within the SBC, some things were changed and addressed in the 2018, I think it was, meeting, which Rick Warren had a part in, that gave authority to the SBC committee to make a ruling and determination whether a church was in good fellowship with the SBC or not. So yes, he was right. When that preamble was written in 2000, it states that it is not binding, but because of, of sexual abuse and some other racial type things that happened back in 2018, the SBC executive committee was given the authority to vote and decide 
whether a church was in whatever the word it is, bad friendship or disfellowship yeah. with the SBC. But interestingly, people don't seem to know that Rick Warren actually had a part in that getting passed. Mm-hmm. He didn't have an issue with all this until in 2019, Beth Moore's whole Sunday sermon came out. And then it was, it was like a year later, he came out and boldly proclaimed that, you know, we've ordained all these women. And that's when these issues started for him and all the backlash, because at that point in time, and I won't go in deep into the history, just briefly, when Rick Warren came out and announced the ordaining those three women as pastors, there's some very familiar names within the SBC that actually came out speaking against him, including Ed Litton, J.D. Greer, and some others that you would be familiar with. Now, and for us, you know, we look at ones like Ed Litton and J.D. Greer, maybe not necessarily solid, that have <coughs> seemed to have jumped off on this pro egalitarian bandwagon over the last couple of years. But back in 2019, 2020, when all this came out, they were speaking out against Rick Warren ordaining women themselves. Mm. And honestly, I think part of the problem was Rick Warren said, oops, all these men that are supposed to be on my side, they're speaking against this. So we're going to have to, we're going to have to pump the brakes and do something, but that's a discussion for another time. But getting back to these verses, why don't you lead us and take us into this third and final verse of what Rick Warren was using to justify women preaching and teaching. And, and I think this will be like the simplest one to really deal with uh, as, as we need to wrap up here. Um, there are multiple passages in the Gospels. I think the one that gives probably the most detail is in John chapter 20. And it'll start in verse 11 and it says, But Mary weeping outside the tomb, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped, stooped excuse me, to, uh, to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting in, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Now, if you stop and think about that for a second, just a side note, mercy seat of the ark where the blood was sprinkled, angels on each side, wings overlapping. Sound familiar? Anyway, that's just a little side note. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not where they know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him and said in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Now, I want that, that that's the most detailed one that I, I, I was quickly looking at these, making sure I wasn't missing one. This is the most detailed one. She specifically speaks to Jesus. She thinks he's a gardener. She doesn't even realize she's talking to her Lord. When he speaks to her and calls her by name, she sees him for the first time as the risen Lord. And her and her desire clearly is to cling tightly to him and not let him go. You ain't going anywhere. <laughs> and he says, no, don't cling to me. Rather, 
go and uh, tell the disciples that I've risen and that I'm ascending to my Father, your Father, to my God and your God. That's it. That's the only message she's given. She is not told in any way, shape, or form to preach, teach, exegete, proclaim, or anything else, but to deliver this message. <laughs> the thing that just, it really aggravates me when I see someone like Rick Warren say, she was given, she was uh, the first preacher of the resurrection. No, she was not. She may have been the first witness of the resurrection. She may have been the first person to tell the disciples or the apostles that Christ had risen. But in no way, shape, or form do we see anything here that resembles what Scripture ascribes to the position of pastor or elder, someone who is called to lead the church. At best, Rich, this goes back to what you were saying, this would be giving witness to his resurrection by saying, he's risen, he told me to tell you this, and that's it. There's no exposition, what? there's no breakdown of, of any message, there's no expositing or lesson to be taught, it's the simple proclamation, I've seen the risen Lord, and that's it. Well, and Rick Warren stated she went back and gave the gospel of the good news of the resurrection. Well, first, telling someone about the resurrection is not the complete entire gospel of Jesus Christ. It includes, first, you have to go back to creation itself and the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Christ. You have to define sin as Christ defines mm -hmm. sins and then get to the point as to why that's important in his promise. Um, going back and telling the apostles he is risen is not a gospel proclamation. No. It is, just like the scripture said, an announcement. Um, I want to jump back real quick because there's something I didn't mention about Acts 8 when the word preach is looked up and it's the Greek word evangelize. It is an old word that has been forgotten over the last two or three centuries, and it's what some of the Puritans and some of the Reformers referred to when it comes to evangelizing, and I think it's a word we need to get back to using, they were gospelizers. They went about gospelizing the news about Christ being the Messiah. They went about being a witness. Now jump forward to where we're at right now, and what you just state, stated in this verse, she announced. Yep. Um, most every version I looked at has a wordplay a little bit on the word announced, but in every one, it is always announced. It is never preached. It is never taught. It is always announced. And I'm going to attempt this. So Dr. White, if you're listening, don't whack my knuckles with your ruler. Um, <laughs> she announced the word is agalo, meaning she announced, like you said, the word that's missing in Rick Warren's ice of Jesus is testimony. Yeah. She gave a testimony she went and announced what she had witnessed. Mm -hmm. She went and announced that I've seen the risen Lord. She went and announced that he spoke to me. Well, granted, they didn't believe her at first, so they went and ran to look for themselves. But she went and announced. Now, the fact that Christ chose a woman to go announce that to the apostles in itself is amazing if you understood the Jewish culture yes, and the Jewish way of doing things. Yes, it is amazing that Christ told a woman to go announce to my brothers, I am here. 
It is wonderful, but we can't read more into that verse than what Christ has ordained for that verse. Just because he told a woman to go announce this to the brothers, because he gave that blessing to her to go announce it to his brothers, does not mean that he was giving a carte blanche to all women to be able to go preach and teach men throughout all of time. This was still prior to his other revelations about how the church was to conduct himself, how the church was to be led, who was to be teachers, who was to be preachers. But the word here is that that could be used instead of announced would be she gave her testimony to the apostles. She announced to the apostles. There's nothing in that that we could twist and bend to mean that she went and gave the first sermon other than if Rick Warren has no biblical definition of what a sermon is. Because if his, and I would agree if that's in, the in case. His, <laughs> yeah, well, in his in his mind, if stating he is risen, if that is going and providing a sermon, then he has wasted the last 40 or 50 years of being a pastor. Well, and I love something that Josh Bice said uh, on Twitter just a few days ago. He said, we must understand the difference between preaching sermons on Sunday within the life of the church and telling about uh, people about the resurrection of Jesus at Starbucks. Egalitarian voices want to conflate the two. Be wise and discerning. Spot on from Josh Bice. That's what Rick Warren is doing here. Even if you want to say this was the first gospel proclamation of the risen Lord. I, I think you're right. I think we can dispute that. But even if you want to say this is kind of like the first time the message of Jesus risen from the dead is, is proclaimed. Okay, cool. I have no problem with that. Guess what? That's not preaching a sermon. That is, like everybody, like Rick Warren says, everybody has the duty to make disciples. So we all have to proclaim the risen Lord. That's We all have that responsibility. Well, the first one, the one who normally would never have been heard, in, as you say, in Jewish, uh, in, in Jewish culture, was a woman. That is showing that God uh, has is totally about the equal. Uh, the equality of men and women in his eyes. We all can give testimony to the risen Lord. We can all say we were forgiven by a, a risen Lord who died for our sins, was dead and buried, and rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures so that our sins could be forgiven. We can all do that. Every single one of us has that duty and that ability. But then when it comes to the roles within the church, who does what? We have the entirety of the New Testament, fulfilling, uh, excuse me, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by those, those apostles and witnesses that God had ordained to write exactly what he desired them to write, giving us all the instructions for everything we need for life and godliness, including the form and function of the church. So as we are wrapping this up, why are we, why are you picking on Rick Warren? This is a tertiary issue. This is not a tertiary issue. It is defying scripture clearly, what clearly, it clearly states and enunciates for all of us to hear. And the reason now that Rick Warren is doing what everybody who is an egalitarian has for years, and by the way, Rick Warren's wrong, People like Mary Magdalene have been used for years to say, well, women can be preachers. So he's dead wrong to think that nobody's ever talked about this. It's just that the liberals have always talked about it. And he wants to pretend the liberals don't exist in the SBC anymore. Guess what, Rick Warren? You are one. All right. So 
he says, I couldn't have been swayed by culture. I couldn't have been uh, pushed in by any other thing. I had to be entirely because of scripture. Rick Warren, I'm sorry, is being 100% dishonest. I don't believe for a second he believes that he was pushed this way from scripture. Rick Warren took the spiritual temperature, stuck his finger in the air and figured this is the direction that the world wants to go. Why does he, can I say that? Because Rick Warren is a pragmatist and has been from day one. He is. This is the man who sat on Fox News one day. I still can't believe I ever heard this uh, a so-called pastor say this and said, "Try Jesus for sixty days." He sold him like a used car. He has been a pragmatist from day one, and he has always been a pragmatist. And he always will be a pragmatist because he has a, a a model to market. He has a product. It's called Jesus. Try him out. I think you'll like him. And if you don't, well, let me package him in a different way that you might like. And now he has taken the spiritual temperature of the culture that he's trying to woo. He's always been about reaching the unchurched. He's always been about that. And so now how is he going to do that? Well, more and more, we've just got this issue of equality and equity and all these things, and we're going to have to step out. We're going to do this, and man, we're going to take some lumps, but we're going to do it. And I think like you said, Rich, he took lumps he didn't expect. It came from the SBC, and so shockingly, from the executive committee voting to disfellowship them. Why? Because they are not in friendly cooperation with the Baptist faith and message, which, as you pointed out, he was instrumental in saying, yes, we need to work together and be in friendly cooperation. And yeah, uh, if a church really does go out way out on the, in the left field, they should be disfellowshipped. Well, guess what, Rick Warren? You and several other churches went out into left field. And now you're backpedaling. And now you're trying to sell the scriptures as a way of fighting uh, the, the, the word of God from one passage against the other. And that is, the, I hate to say this, but that is despicable. For a man of, who claims to be a representative of Christ, to take the words of Christ and then to use them as a club to beat up on the other passages of scripture, that that same Christ inspired through the Holy Spirit for people like Paul to write, to use that as a bludgeoning tool to make that, that clear verse look like a complete mess that you can't understand, is despicable and it's blasphemous. I'm going to call it out what it is. It's blasphemous. So up to this point, maybe you're trying, trying to track along and you're going, oh, maybe I can see what you're saying. But you know, Rick Warren says, and now you've heard me say this, you're probably upset with me. I understand that. Rick Warren a is a suit. Go ahead, brother. Well, in it, in the transcript of his interview, which is in the link at Christianity, what is it, Christianity.com. Christianity it Today. Christianity Today. In that transcript, he states, we have to approach Scripture humbly saying, I could be wrong. And he stated several times that he could be, he, he could be wrong on this issue. I don't know if he truly is saying that because he's trying to reconcile and understand scripture and admit that he could be wrong, or if he's trying to leave himself an open caveat for down the road to where he can come back and say, well, I never emphatically said women could be preachers. See, right here I said that I could be wrong, so you can't accuse me of this, this, or this. Um, having studied some of the issues surrounding Saddleback for years, sadly, I really, my, my true belief is that He's trying to leave himself an mm -hmm. uh, uh, escape route out of, out of this issue. 
to where if he changes his mind again, he can go back and say, well, I changed my mind after reading the scriptures. See, I said in this interview I could be wrong. My question for the listeners now is the same as it was when we started. Rick Warren emphatically states he could be wrong about the roles of women preaching and teaching men. My question to you is, take everything that he has taught you, take everything the culture has inundated you with, take what you can from this podcast or just throw it aside as well, but go to the scriptures themselves. Read the scripture. Read what the meanings of these scriptures are. Read what commentaries had to say on these scriptures prior to 1950. Do the work yourself do not be one that stands before god and says i'm sorry i was not a good steward of your word i didn't read and study for myself i just took for granted what people told me as being true you need to read and research and study these things for you for yourself rick warren states he could be wrong my question is if you have supported women being pastors if you still support it now if Rick Warren states he could be wrong, then I ask you, could you be wrong? Who are you going to put more trust and faith in? Rick Warren and your own understanding or in the Word of God itself? Sadly, though, in a lot of times nowadays, we also need to, and it's hard for a person to do this with themselves, but we have to realize that once we rationalize Scripture, and twist it to accommodate our own thoughts, feelings, emotions, and to accommodate the culture, we can be begin to make a habit of twisting anything in Scripture to mean what we want it to mean. Ultimately, it comes down to what did God mean by this statement. And yes, there is a huge difference between interpretation and application. The interpretation is what God meant by this verse. The application is how does this apply to my life? That is a huge thing that seems to be in an illiterate area of biblical teaching is understanding the difference between those two things. There is only one meaning to a verse, but it may have several applications. Sadly, Rick Warren is trying to say that, that the issue of preaching and teaching is an issue of interpretation, that you read Timothy, and you may interpret it to mean this, or I may read it and interpret it to mean that. This goes back to what I said earlier. Of all things in the Scripture, this is as clear and clear and clear cut and as easily stated as anything else ever could be. It plainly states, I do not allow, which means Christ is saying, I do not allow a woman to preach or teach or exercise authority over a man. It comes straight right back down to your view of Scripture. Either all of it's true and is the Word of God, or none of it is. And if you don't think any of it is the Word of God, then why are you bothering to claim to be a Christian in the first place? Amen. Now, as we close out, I'm going to change up my end comment a little bit. Whatever you do this week, make it a point to gospelize at least one person a day. Amen. Amen. So, to, to put a final pin in this... It's not our aim to go out and bash on somebody like Rick Warren or some other teacher that we take issue with. It is rather when someone like Rick Warren, who is extremely influential, 
is speaking to, I think he's the editor-in-chief, uh, Russell Moore of Christianity Today, which is a magazine reaching literally thousands upon thousands of Christians every day. And he says, this, these scriptures convinced me. Nobody deals with them. Nobody has addressed them. And I didn't even see it. And I had to repent. And if you, if you do anything else, you're eisegeting. Hopefully what we've demonstrated is that Rick Warren completely eisegeted these passages. He entered into them things that they did not say and expanded them to mean things they were never meant to mean. And he has done so to justify the ordaining of women as pastors and saddleback. Anytime someone does that, that is manipulation. It is using the word of God in a way it was never meant to be used. It is a deadly, deadly uh, thing to be doing. It is a dangerous path to be walking. And quite honestly, it's sinful. If Rick Warren needs to repent of anything, it is his mistreatment and a misuse of the scriptures. And when he says, well, these are tertiary issues and, and we could be wrong, what he's saying is, well, yeah, maybe I could be wrong. I don't think I am, but maybe I could be, but so could you. And so really what he's doing is, and I don't disagree with my brother Rich, I wouldn't be surprised if he did use this as an escape hatch later. But I also believe what he's doing is really punching Christians in the nose by saying, yeah, but you might be wrong too, and really you should rethink this. This is what he's doing. And then he's making it, pointing, taking it further to say, and it really isn't important anyway. It's absolutely important. Rick Warren has been doing this for a long time, and, and we actually wrote an article on the podcast, or on the website, addressing this, trying to make it sound like, hey, this isn't a big deal. We can disagree on these issues. No, it is a big deal. When Scripture's clear, when Scripture gives very explicit instructions, then it is our obligation as Christians not to find ways to make us feel better about it, or find ways to maybe schmooze it just a little bit to get what we want out of it, but rather it is incumbent upon us as Christians to bow the knee in humility and obey Christ, because that is far more important. And that is what Rick Warren is not doing. And so we did that because we, we've done this episode because we wanted to address that. You don't play with the Word of God. You don't use it as theological Play-Doh. Rick Warren has. And so he is someone to be marked and avoided, in, in my opinion, and I think in the opinion of many others. But at this point, he is also someone to be learned from in that this is what a person who does not believe the Word of God is what it says it is. He says he believes in inerrancy. No, he doesn't. He, he says he believes in sufficiency and believes in inspiration. No, he doesn't. Rick Warren believes it's a tool for his tool belt to be used the way he wants it to be used. And that is dangerous. It is leading people astray. So pray for Rick Warren. Pray for his repentance. Pray for those who are being influenced by him. And when someone comes to you and says, wow, I've read the Bible all my life, but I've never heard it this way. And really, we need to re-examine. Be scared. Be worried. And be ready to respond. That's our hope and uh, our encouragement to you this week. Thank you guys for being patient with us. Sorry about last week. Uh, we pray that in the coming weeks we'll be we won't have those gaps in there. Uh, but thank you for spending time with us, you guys. We love you so much. And again, if you're new and you're, you're getting used to all we say and do here, we would love to hear from you. Voice of Reason Radio at gmail.com. God bless you guys. Good night. And whatever you do this week, do it for the glory of God. We'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.